Apparently, pandas can give you OCD. Wait, like, black and white Asian pandas? Well, not exactly. So then, what causes OCD? And how is it diagnosed? My name's Kate, and I'm going to answer those questions coming up in this episode. All you have to do is slide into my DX. Welcome to episode number two on OCD. So before I get into all the meat and potatoes uh, and what this episode is about, I just want to make something clear that I could have talked about a bit more in my previous episode and the intro, but, but you know, better late than never. And really, it's just kind of about my credentials, I guess you would call it. I'm not a medical professional. I said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist. So I'm not a professional in this field giving my own insight onto OCD and any mental health disorder. I guess the only expertise, so to speak, that I have is that I have my own experience, specifically right now with OCD. I guess I would say I have about 10 years of experience, although that's really 10 years of knowing what I have looking back. I can tell that really I've had OCD my entire life and I set number of 10 years as a little small compared to some people that might be listening with experience of OCD, but that's just because I'm fairly young. So that 10 years is really a lot of my adult life experiencing it. And within that time, I have gotten to know and understand more about myself and the disorder. I've done a lot of my own research, but I'm not wanting to have people listen to this and think that I'm giving my own opinions and my own advice to this. I bring a lot of research in and studies. None of this is my own research, by the way, but the studies will just give it a more factual and scientific approach. But I'm also going to bring in a lot of my own experience to make it a lot more tangible and personal. And I don't really believe that you necessarily need to be a professional to talk about mental health. Uh, While you shouldn't go out and try to spout your own opinions and advice without having any sort of research to back it up, I do think that you can speak on your own experience and you can bring out research that has been done, which is kind of what I'm doing. And I really want to do this podcast because I want to educate people about OCD and what it really entails, uh, help mitigate some of those stereotypes that people might have, and really to let people who have OCD know that they're not alone and what they're experiencing, because it can be really confusing. But now that that's all out of the way, let's get into the episode. So what causes OCD? Well, Doctors and scientists aren't exactly sure about what causes OCD, is it's hard to tell a cause of something so intangible such as thoughts. Uh, a lot of research so suggests that genetics and brain structure plays a role in people developing OCD. So when it comes to the brain structure, there's research that suggests that people with OCD have a problem in communication between the front part of the brain and the deeper structures of the brain. So the frontal cortex, which controls behavior, so the anterior cingulate cortex, which deals with complex cognition and empathy and 
emotions, decision-making, and the thalamus that relays the sensory impulses that come from the body receptors and then sends it off to the cerebral cortex, which interprets those touch feelings. And all these brain structures use neurotransmitters, which are just little chemical messengers. And one of those is serotonin. And if you're familiar with any of the medications that are used to treat mental illness, that's what the SRIs and SSRIs uh, kind of mess with. It's the serotonin reuptake inhibitors and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And there's MRIs from people's brains that show that these circuits become a little bit more normal with those. So there's clearly something going on with serotonin. And one thing that people with OCD will talk about is that feeling of things just just being just right. And there was a study done in 2015, the brain structural correlates of sensory phenomena in patients with obsessive compulsive disorder. And they found that patients with OCD had an increase in gray matter volume in the left sensory motor cortex. So in that area, the thalamus and the cerebral cortex that deals with the body receptors. So there's something going on with the brain where there's that sensory phenomena is feeling of just right is coming from, it's, it's a feeling like a, any other kind of touch like warmth or anything like that. And that can encourage the obsessions and compulsions because you're searching and trying to make things feel just right. And there's another study, the corticostriatothalamocortical circuit abnormalities. Say that fast, it's hard. Uh, abnormalities in obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a voxel based, which is just a kind of a three-dimensional graph way of uh, analyzing the brain voxel-based morphometric and functional MRI study of the whole brain. Uh, functional MRI is basically where the person is in the MRI compared to a, a regular MRI that someone might get that just takes the pictures of the brain as it is and they see if there's anything abnormal, like an abnormal growth. A functional MRI shows the brain while it's active and will light up little portions of the brain when a person's thinking about a certain thing. And what they found was that there is an overactivation of the right cerebellum and right parietal lobe and reduced activation of the left cingulate gyrus putamen and quadrate nucleus. So what that means is that on the right side, where the sensory information is being processed, there's a bit of an overload of sensation, but the left side is not very active. So there's a disconnect between an understanding of what's going on with that sensory information, which can explain the sensory phenomenon where there's that lack of cognition of what is actually happening with the sensory information that's coming in. Now, there's another study that kind of bolsters that idea that there's something going on with brain structure that's causing OCD. In 1998, there was a study about a patient that developed OCD symptoms after having a severe car accident. So there is some sort of damage that was done to her brain that caused her to have these symptoms. And the thing is that with this case, it's not a chemical issue. It's not necessarily the neurotransmitters because the OCD medications that normally would work were not having the same effects on her. And just like last week, 
I mentioned at the end of the episode, I'm going to put the studies that I've just mentioned on Twitter. So even if there is a problem with brain structure, how does someone get a problem with brain structure if it isn't an accident, you don't get a contusion? Well, that's where genes come in to play. And genes, genetics, it's often inherited. Research has shown that OCD does run in families, like a lot of other mental illnesses. But that's only slightly partly responsible for causing the disorder. Uh, No one really knows what other factors might be involved, uh, whether it's just getting something stressing in the life or hormones. And research has shown that when a person develops OCD in childhood, it's more likely to be caused by genes. There's a study done on twins that showed that genes had a higher chance of playing a role when OCD started in childhood, about 45 to 65% of a chance of it being genes compared to when symptoms start showing at adulthood. So which genes? Well, there's a study of the genome-wide linkage analysis of obsessive-compulsive disorder, and it implicated chromosome 1p36. And unless you're a geneticist and you know which chromosomes do which, that's not going to mean a lot. But it shows that there is and that there are different chromosomes that might cause OCD, which when it comes to gene therapy, that could be a possible treatment. Now, going off of how OCD can be hereditary, there is also the possibility that, let's say a parent has OCD, the child can develop learned behaviors from that parent in that they do the compulsions and the child thinks, oh, that's just how things are done. Uh, But generally, that can be solved with therapy and just changing how thought processes are done and it most likely won't cause a severe issue with the anxiety that normally would be caused if the person has OCD. So let's say you have OCD, no one in your family has it, you haven't been in an accident, well how do you have OCD? Well that's where pandas comes in, like I mentioned at the beginning, although I prefer to pronounce it as PANDAS. PANDAS is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Basically, there's been shown that there are certain neurological disorders that can start of an acute onset after a certain illness. And this can come from diseases such as chicken pox, HIV, the common cold even, and strep, as it's mentioned in the whole name. But this is different from OCD that develops from genetics or brain structure in that it happens almost overnight. It's just absolutely very sudden and it can be very damaging to the child because one night you're fine, the next night you have symptoms of OCD. A lot of this talk about OCD being developed from brain structures and genetics really only goes to explain the obsessions. The compulsions are explained by the fact that they're a learned behavior to relieve anxiety. So compulsions aren't necessarily caused by the brain structure. The compulsions are just a response to the obsessions. So OCD can be caused by brain structure, genes, possibly an illness. And 
when it's not certain illness, because that happens, it's pediatric, uh, when it's more or less genes or just the ve- development of the brain, that normally starts to show uh, between ages 8 to 12 or late teen to early adulthood. And those are times that can be very stressful. There's hormone changes going on, which can then trigger the disorder to start making itself more present. And that's kind of what happened to me. I started noticing stronger symptoms when I was about 11. I noticed now looking back that I did have some symptoms. When I was younger, I wanted to keep boxes new. I like to keep them in the boxes and stuff like that. And then when I reached 11, that's when it became a lot more severe. And I'll talk about my own story later. I'll have an episode specific to that. Now, how is someone diagnosed as having OCD? Generally, that diagnosis is done by someone that's a professional in the field of mental health, whether that be a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist, or a counselor. Now, there's someone that has a wide background in mental health and understands it. So generally, the person will come in and they'll do a psychological evaluation, which really just consists of them talking to whoever they came into, therapist, doctor, and going over their thoughts and problems that they're having. We might talk about the obsessions they're having, the compulsions, and how it's impacting their life. Because often people, the reason they go and seek help is that the symptoms they're having are severely impacting and disrupting their life. And this is where the DSM-5 comes into play, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders, where it gives the diagnostic criteria, and that's what doctors and therapists go on, so it's kind of across the board. Often, along with these psychological evaluations, there will be a test that the doctor or counselor administers, and there's a few tests that they use. One that is considered the gold standard and that's really often used is the Yale-Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale, and that's an interview that consists of 10 questions Uh, Five of those questions measure time, interference, distress, resistance, and the controlling the motions. And then five that measure the compulsions that relate to that. And the person just rates on a scale of zero to four, no symptoms to severe symptoms. And they get a score, a global severity score based on that. Another study is the National Institute of Mental Health Global Obsessive Compulsive Scale. And that's also very similar It's just a list of questions and they rate their thoughts and compulsions and how severe they are. Then there's also the obsessive compulsive inventory revised and the Florida obsessive compulsive inventory. And both of those are very similar. The person just measures how severe of symptoms they have. Now, none of these scales are perfect. And one issue when it comes to diagnosing honestly any mental health disorder is that one, you have comorbidity, which is basically that a lot of disorders tie into each other. You have one, you're gonna have another. So if you if you have depression, oftentimes you're also going to have anxiety. And along with this, a lot of disorders have similar symptoms. So that's why it can often take a little while to diagnose someone because you really have to understand their thought processes. 
Well, that's it for this episode. I hope that you've learned something, answered some questions, and that you're not worried about pandas giving you OCD. I will, again, put up the studies that I've mentioned on Twitter. Hopefully you'll come and follow me. That'd be great. Also, you can check me out on Facebook. Both of those are Slide Into My DX podcast. Just search them. Next week, I'll be talking about treatments for OCD. So hopefully you'll be ready and check that one out. As always, thank you for sliding into my DX. Bye.